Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode seven of Just the Facts. I'm Alex Zane. How are you? What are you up to? What are you doing right now? What's the weather like where you are? That's a leading question. I'm obviously asking that because I want to talk about the weather. Just because it explains the situation I'm in at the moment. There was a thunderstorm here in London, which means that Simon is now cowering under my desk because he's scared of thunder. And I just realised you might not know who Simon is. That is presumptuous of me. Uh, Simon is not a friend. Um, Well, Simon is a friend. He's not a human friend. What I mean is if I had a human friend called Simon and they were cowering under my desk, if they just turned up and gone, hey, listen, I'm really not feeling this thunder. Could I just get under the desk? I mean, I would be like, okay, of course. I'm not a monster. You can do that. Simon is a dog, a whippet, my whippet. And he's under the desk right now, hiding from the thunder as I speak to you from my office. Office sounds grand. It's more of a a large cupboard. Um, So there you go. That's my situation right now. I hope yours is equally dog-related or not. You might not like dogs. I I don't want to tell you how to live your life. (laughs) Shall we talk about today's episode instead? Good. Let's. So uh, my guest today Wow, absolutely fantastic to have him on the show. He is someone whose work I have admired for years. The excellent Rishir Smith. 
is my guest. He is one of the co-creators of the League of Gentlemen and more recently the utterly brilliant BBC show Inside Number Nine, which I cannot recommend enough. If you haven't seen it, it's truly one of the best things on TV. Go check it out. Each half-hour episode is its own self-contained, unique story. Some are funny, some are scary, some are heartwarming, some are disturbing, some are all of those things at once. It's incredible. There's six seasons on BBC iPlayer, so you can go on there, have a little mooch about, see which one sounds like there's something that might be interesting to you, and have a watch, and then watch another and another and another. Or if you want a bit more holding of your hand, Hand-holding is the way that's normally said, but I wanted to make it slightly weirder. If you want a bit more holding of your hand, then at the end of this episode, we get quite deep into some of my favourite episodes. You you might like different ones, but this is an opportunity for me to effuse about the ones that I like with Reese, And I do do that thing that I sometimes do. When I get a little bit excited, oh, which is start repeating a writer's own work back to them as though it's new information. I like going, and this line, but this line, isn't that funny? Yes, it is. I mean, thank you, but it is. I wrote it. Uh, is is a, is a fair response. But yeah, I uh, I got very excited talking to Reese. And if, listen, do you know what I'm saying all this? Like, you haven't seen it. You might love Inside Number 9. That is maybe why you are here, in which case... We get to hear Reese tell us all about some of the inspirations behind some of those episodes. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Uh, we also talked about his brand new movie with the fantastic writer and director Ben Wheatley, In the Earth, which is still in cinemas at the moment. A scary folk horror, I think you'd call it, that they made during the pandemic, which itself is set against the backdrop of a pandemic and sees a scientist get lost in the woods with terrifying results i'm not going to say too much more about that we get into it in our chat suffice to say that reese plays someone who you would not want to meet when you're stumbling alone through ancient woodland miles from civilization it's good stuff good stuff and we also talked about our mutual love of horror although my knowledge of the genre pales in comparison to his and you know what that'll do for me that's it uh let's just listen i hope you enjoy our chat i really loved it and don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at jtf pod thank you very much okay here we go me chatting with the wonderful reese smith it is absolutely fantastic to have you here thank you for coming down not at all delighted to be out the house <laughs> right yeah and uh, not too far away no for you. no it's been easy for me yeah um nice to see you again we were talking weren't we the last time we were together was at Dynamo at the O2. That's right. In the before times when there was many people in a room, in a massive room together. Yeah, where people could just, you could hug. You yeah, you could make cars vanish. Oh, the glory days. Yes, yeah. No, it's all gone. I keep saying that though. You sort of go, I've, when you're addressing things now, you use it as a time frame. Like, oh, you mean before the pandemic? Yes. It and is very strange, isn't it? Yeah. As a sentence, it just sounds so dystopian. Yeah. And yet it has entered like the dialect. That we've lived in, that we're living in it. Yeah. Who would have thought we'd have had this experience in our tiny dot of a life on this <laughs> planet? Right. It's very strange, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. Um, but a, a fertile field to plow. This is an unnecessary analogy, but I've started. Yeah. A fertile field to plow with the medium of film, because I, I think we should start. Um, 
by talking about In the Earth because it is still in cinema so people yeah. can hear this and they can go and see it That's and right. yes I love the fact that it's in cinemas as well it seems to have bucked the trend yeah. of not going straight to streaming I know. I think that I don't know whether that was by design or whether it was just let's see what happens. I mean, I think there's a bit of pressure off of the film as far as doing figures because you know it's so limited. I think still in cinema. I don't know whether it's all back. I don't know the rules, Alex anymore. Mm. I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> so, uh, but whether it's social distancing or not in cinemas, yes, it's lovely. It had a US release in April mm. and did well. I think Ben was very. He's great, Ben. I mean, he just you know he's nonstop. I don't know how he does it. He's one of these people that can have lots of plates spinning and be writing lots of different things. I'm very different to that. I can only do one thing and feel like it's got to have my complete attention. But he was doing this, and the next thing I knew, we were filming it in August last year, right in the middle of the pandemic. He, he said, I've written this thing, sort of in panic uh, as a response to the whole COVID. And he wrote it in March, and then he said, I'm going to try and make this film. And I thought, yeah, I'll go. I went along with it. I thought, well, we won't really do it. But we did it. We, amazingly, we felt like a... A ray of hope when we're actually with a little man, little 25 team of set of people that were in a premiere in outside of Hastings, mm -hmm. um, Henley, filming in the woods. It was all outside, so it felt as safe as it could be, really. It was great. Do you think it was a, probably a cathartic exercise for him then as, as his way of dealing with being locked down? Yeah, I mean, I think he's done lots of interviews about what he was feeling, but it, it felt to him that you nothing we couldn't proceed without... Um, Everything all bets are off. It was like, well, there's, there's no, there is no before time now. There's just this, and how do we, I've got? I can't. Everything just seems frivolous in the wake of it. You can't write a film now where people are in a room talking. It's not, <laughs> that can't happen anymore. So he wanted to just get something down that was sort of about it. I mean, it, it, I think what is good about it is it's not relentlessly about COVID. I think people were nervous when they first heard he'd done something in response to it. But really, it's a jumping off point. And because weirdly, it's all outside, not inside. Mm. You're not trapped. It's about some people that get to go outside and wander through the woods and have a, a Ben Wheatley horror experience. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about the sort of difference between watching something at home and watching it in the cinema. But for me, the kind of film that it is, it is an immersive experience. You are transported as the viewer to rural England, deep in the woods. Yeah. And for me, films like that do still belong in the cinema, in the dark of the cinema where you are, it, it, you're immersed in it. Absolutely, 100%. And I think any film you've ever seen, even if it's rubbish in the cinema, stays with you a little bit more than just something you might have watched and you can't even remember the next day you got up and you watched the two films last night. You don't remember <laughs> what it was. But there's always an element of the, you know, you've put something in to go and in into the dark room and watch on the big screen. And you always get something back. It, 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 it belies um, the fact that it is, that's the way to watch a film, I think, in the cinema and, and experience it like that. And in the earth, God, yeah, it's completely um, designed for, it's like an endurance test of, <laughs> of sight and sound. And he wanted it to feel like that. So yes, if you can still see it and you haven't seen it, see it in the cinema because it is really properly, like you say, immersive and feels like you, your head is being battered, but it, in a good way, I think. You yeah. know, it's sort of like 2001 type experience where the visuals and the sound, he wanted that front and centre, you know, not sort of accompanying the action. It was like you are completely in it and it's, it's a mad ride by the end. And when it came along for you, uh, was it a nice release? I mean, how was lockdown for you? How was it going before this materialised? Yeah, well, we were filming series six of Inside Number Nine, three, and we'd done three days in March 2020 and then we were stopped. Mm. We were the last men standing, I think. We were one of the last 
BBC production is still going mm. in the wake of everything dropping. So everyone, we were just all on our phones going, what's this thing that's coming? <laughs> so it was stopped. And then we knew that we had Series 7 uh, commission. So we wrote Series 7 in lockdown. We just thought, well, we can do it now. We'll just do it now Let's, mm. until we are allowed to film the rest of Series 6. So then we had a strange experience of filming, uh, of writing together, but not together on computer screens, which is, we've never done that before. We always write together in the room. And so we had, you know, FaceTime on and the page of Final Draft on the screen and we were sharing it and deleting the, the sentences and going back and forwards. But that was funny. But uh, Why did you delete that? That was... Yeah, yeah. No, have you got... That, that seems to have just gone back. Yeah. So that was happening a lot. But um, just a, a sort of exhausting experience because writing is, the, is in... I, I realised when we were made to write like that, that a lot of the writing and the... And the idea is, is in the off time, is in the downbeats, you know, just waiting, going for a coffee, stopping, talking to each other in the meantime. We mostly talk a lot before we even begin writing anything. And this was harder because it was like, right, we've got an allotted time. We're on it. We're looking at each other. We've arrived at this point on the screens. And what we did was we did manage to do it. It was fine, but it was much more concentrated, more exhausting. And we do much shorter days. Mm. I found that we couldn't do it past two o'clock or something, starting at nine or 10 in the morning. It was like, we're done. It was like such hard work, really, actually. It was quite difficult to just keep that because there's nowhere to hide. You just sat staring and you can't really go, you know, you don't realize you're stopping when you're in a room together because you're just knocking a ball around or just it's strange around, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. You are very, you have, it's, it's a weird thing because I, I don't know whether it's an etiquette thing or a social thing or something that is ingrained in us as human beings in how we interact with each other, but. Sort of being forced, well, not forced, but just looking at another person, yeah. And and then you, you like you say, you can't obviously wander out of shot, but even sort of like you know, having that moment to yourself, your inner thoughts, you're always yeah. being dragged back into the immediate moment of having to sort of keep this dialogue going. Yes, there is. It's absolutely right. It's just that weird social thing of of I'm on screen and I should sort of keep it going. Yeah. And and where we're very happy and comfortable in silences, we sit for hours. Sometimes, probably hours, just both staring, thinking of what's the funniest biscuit or whatever it might be. <laughs> and so that it was robbed of us a little bit doing that way, way of filming. But yeah, as far as the, the pandemic, you know, I was fine. I, I'm very aware of being completely blessed. I, like, I'd never go anywhere anyway, like, to be honest. <laughs> in. So for me, it was quite a relief. It was like now we're really There's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to go anywhere now. I don't have to make any excuses and everyone's doing it. So there we are. So yeah. yes, I was in a lot of the time, and uh, but busy with that, and with the knowledge that when we could, we would be out doing it again, you know. And then I did a bit sooner than anybody because that film happened right in the middle of the lockdown in August. And I guess it's kind of as a movie, it's good. I mean, obviously the the fact that the pandemic is continuing, and you know this new normal that we're in. But the fact yeah. that the film was written made and released while well, the pandemic is still very present in people's lives yeah. is actually kind of important because I think there probably will come a time in the future where either the last thing people will want to see is something to do with the pandemic yeah. or it immediately dates it, fingers crossed, you know, yeah. where people go, oh, that was so long ago. Absolutely, yeah. And we were uh, mindful of that during lockdown writing new number nines. We thought, should we do a, a Zoom-based one? You know, everyone's doing that and we were like, we knew within two weeks people would be sick of Zoom-based mm. things, and it, I, I felt like we were, 
we shouldn't do it because it was sort of expected mm. and we never you know the if it's anything it's trying to be unexpected our that program particularly so we didn't do it but yeah it, i think it will there'll be a slew of of disease ridden covid things won't yeah. they i'm sure yeah I mean, it's it's very interesting whether people. I think people will be kind of bored of it because there was a, at the start YouTube. There's such an immediate way of getting stuff out there now. Yeah. So you've got all these comedians on YouTube going, "Here's a great, here's a great sketch." And at the start, you're like, "That's funny, that's funny." And like three weeks later, you're like, "I've seen all of them. Yeah, I've seen every iteration of I'm on a Zoom call and I'm on mute. Yeah, and I've got the mute on yet and press mute and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we were we thought that a fun way to do it would be to do a parody of all those bad. <laughs> oh, you see now that sounds funny. <laughs> well, we nearly did start writing in the way it was like it, it was in a bit. Yeah, I'm not saying because we end up. With you. Yeah, it, it was quite. You know, there's some funny bits in it because it was ironical about all that. Those those amidas tropes that already appeared mm. and and were sort of being rammed down your throat relentlessly already. So yeah, we didn't want to uh, do that. But yeah, the the whole thing of the um, uh, you know films and and content about. It. I'm, not, I'm not sure. I mean, whether I, I suppose it's how it's handled, isn't it? Ben, in in a way, with uh, in the Earth, wrote a, a horror film that's got different genres of horror film within it. You know, it starts out like some weird uh, Blair Witchy type thing when they're camping in the woods, and then I'm in the middle bit, which is more like slasher. Mm. And then the ending is like Quatermass. It's more Doctor Who-y. So it gets very science fiction at the end. So there's lots of different bits in it. Your introduction. So you play a character uh, called Zach um, uh, in the uh, in it. Was it did, did Ben write that for you? Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. I, I spoke to him just early on in, in March just to say, how are you? This is strange, isn't it? And he said, I'm writing a... And, he, and he, then he said it then. He was writing a horror film. There was, he said, there's a part in it for you if you want to do it. And I was like, well, yeah. As I say, thinking he was just doing it for his own peace of mind, mm. but never really knowing it, it would actually come to fruition but yeah he did write it for me and the character in it of this strange hermit that's living in the woods away from the the disease that's ravaged the city and has been there for however many years and has sort of constructed his own reality in his own strange way of mysticism and, and worship and it's all very strange and religious as opposed to the ying to my yang which is this character that Haley Squires plays who's a scientist so it's sort of mysticism and spiritualism versus science really that's the idea behind the film thrust of it i guess and uh he's been in the woods for ages but the the interesting thing for me was ben said he, he's he's sort of related to the character of whitehead that i played in a field in england which is the other ben wheelie film i did yeah. in 2013 black and white civil war and that was a great part i love doing that and he was a coward weedly little man in that and um this was very different to that part but yet i like the idea of across the the millennia of time they, they were somehow um shared, related yeah shared universe interested yes yeah. exactly i think all his his films are somehow linked yeah he's got uh, that in his mind yeah the um the canon it's um it's a really good introduction uh that zach your character gets and it's a combination for me of two things it's uh it's it's the look you give but just before that it's um i mean it's 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 a it's a horror trope but it's he does it very well uh which is where you are not quite sure as the audience whether you've seen something or not and if you were meant to see something is there a figure in that shot hidden in the undergrowth yes. or not you know the kind of thing like um uh, mike flanagan does very well in um, uh, the haunting of hill house uh, and, and james Wan to a, a lesser degree in insidious there's slightly more jump scares but where there is something in the back of shots yeah and you're like did i see it's always the worst thing when things are far away mm. yes absolutely it's one of the great things that's always so scary about the ghost stories for christmas mm. um, the lawrence gordon clarks from the 70s they are filmed so brilliantly and they're so 
simple, dumb, simply done, but he's got such a keen eye on what is unsettling. And it's always that. It's that there's something far in the, away in the corner or like the end of Blair Witch when he's just stood yeah. facing away in the, at the wall with the little handprints on the wall. It's so strange. Don't look now, the creature in the, the little red back in the corner at the end. So, yeah, that and... The, you're right. The uh, arrival of Zach is similar because I'm sat in, in the undergrowth mm. quite far away. And then I said I wanted to turn my head like an owl, <laughs> almost 360 degree if I can, and then just stand up. Yeah. So, yeah. When you're creating a character like that, because obviously you have, uh, as I think was just proved in the last answer, uh, an encyclopedic uh, knowledge of horror cinema and horror in general. So you, you, you're looking at Zach on the page. Uh, are you are you inevitably going to go? Oh, that's like X from X that I'm aware of. And then, do you lean into that, or do you sort of go, Oh, I can't do that because that's that. I can't do that. Is yes. it is it is it a help or a hindrance having this vast knowledge of characters that Zach might be a bit like? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think you can't help but think as soon as I saw that he ends up. Chasing them with an axe. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, massive no, spoiler. My, yeah, but massive it's fine. Spoiler, but I think it's all right. I, I remember speaking to Ben about how long we could keep it from the audience that I'm not going to turn out to be particularly nice. He said about 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think he genuinely meant it as well because I was thinking, oh, you know, you could keep it. It's brilliant to be able to keep a lid on that he is benign and he's nice and he's going to try and help. And he said, no, people will realize straight away. People who turn their heads like almost 360 degrees like owls are, are, are inherently yep. slightly creepy. It's a giveaway, yeah. I know. I guess so. And, and massive yellow eyes. I didn't have that. But uh, <laughs> <been> a beak <laughs> covered in feathers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I was off the ground actually floating. <laughs> with my toes trailing. Um, so it's hard. Yes, it is hard to sort of magpie other parts, mm. uh, but also delicious. Because I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, because then you'd be accused of it and people would be able to see it a mile off. But um, I hope I just bring, all I wanted to do with that part and any part really is you, you, if you believe it, you just got to really believe it. However outlandish, a lot of strange dialogue in that. That's hard. You know, it, if you do it right, it will be believable, however strange and mad, but actually it's a really tricky job to have. You can be convinced by mm. someone's sincerity if they're talking such bollocks as that. Yeah. But you know, that's, and that's a hard thing to do, but you've got, just got to completely believe it. And I very early thought Zach should just be so, um, polite in a way and truthful and and earnest in his belief and unwavering and i thought that would be quite when he's got them mm. and uh, they're trying to get away from him that's even more frightening that he, he's obviously never going to be talked out of it and i thought that's <laughs> quite scary that he's he's not right ranting and raving i mean he does get to do that but there's parts of it where there's there's such assurance and and lucidity i thought that would be scary and there's also that thing i imagine you and um Ben Wheatley, a kind of kindred spirits in that uh, over your careers, you've both mined the pitchest of black comedy for laughs. Yeah. And there's um, there's certainly a moment in this and it's, it, I will leave the context out because it is, this is certainly a spoiler, but, but you do have a line that just made me cackle, which is, <laughs> oh no, you're going to have to take me to hospital. Which <laughs> oh just, yes, yes, of course. Yeah. It's so funny and so bleak at the same yes, time. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's great. I mean, you know, I've spent a place in a career trying to mine that delicate line. And when you get it right, it's fantastic when it's frightening and, and funny as well. And the, and the release and the mechanics, I've said this a lot, of course, is that of laughter and horror, it's very similar. Telling a joke and, and the relief. And the relief. It always, if you listen to an audience get have a jump scare, there's a massive laugh after it because mm. it's just a release, isn't it? And so you're doing the same thing with, with comedy and 
and scares as well. And when you when you get it right, it is it's the most delicious thing. It's hard to do it to get both right in in one thing. You can tip it into it not being funny or just being just horrible and not scary, not funny at all. It's a strange reaction. I mean, I, I do think there is a release and people laugh at the relief of the fact that it was just a jump in a movie. Yeah. But there is, sometimes there is uh, there are things that, I mean, I find myself, and it might be a very personal thing to me, I, I sometimes find myself really laughing at stuff that other people are appalled by as a sort of, I don't know whether I'm, it's not that I'm enjoying it, but my reaction is to just go, this is so extreme and kind of so wonderful, but my reaction is just to be in hysterics right. while people are going, what are you doing? Yeah, it's what? probably some sort of, coping mechanism right yeah, yeah. So it, it's you're filtering it through the, that pretense of when when normally i'm doing this noise i'm finding it funny and enjoying it and i'm not frightened and <laughs> slightly feel like my mind is being snapped that is what i'm gonna say so to if I, i'm doing it in this situation it's all right it makes it all right yeah. stop giving me the funny looks that's why it's a coping mechanism <laughs> yes. that's fine exactly yeah it's like your drink problem in airplane <laughs> into, your, into your ear <laughs> because you've uh, i mean you got into horror as uh as a as a young a boy a child yeah I mean a lot I I look around and I think I don't feel I'm that strange because I think a lot of the people I now know very well have all had weirdly the same childhood mm. certainly Mark and Jeremy and Steve we all seemed to be the little kids that would be indoors when all the kids were playing outside in the summer holidays when curtains drawn reading the Alan Frank book of horror films you know so yeah. that was my childhood and I just I've I've managed somehow brilliantly to, to keep it going you know I'm, I'm, I'm even bigger kid now than I was when I was little I think <laughs> just trying to hold on to all the things I loved and repeat and repeat it's um it, I mean I, I, just to join the party that's pretty much I mean I was slightly more sci-fi than I, I was horror but I was very much right. the, the the kid where you're like the kids on the street would be like we're going to the park to play football yeah. in the sunshine and I'd be like the sunshine's killing my movie watching I have to draw the curtains and there's a crack in the curtains and it's really annoying me I'm staying in I was quite a pale child with big eyes Yes, um, well, I, I can imagine that now. Yeah, exactly. And we're, we're the same. We would have got on like house on fire. So it's funny, isn't it? You do find your tribe of people that are like this. I remember writing to Stephen King just before he wrote uh, Christine. He wrote a letter back to me. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. To say, keep at it. So I was saying I was writing little sketches and things. And it was he was very, um, it's fantastic to think. And, you know, amazing to think he responded like that. Just to some kid who wrote him a, Letter from Hull. Mm. Uh, when he, and uh, yeah, he was just about to do Christine. I think I'd written about Pet Cemetery. But yeah, so all That's the, all, yeah, yeah, amazing. I, to read his it. book, uh, what's it, Stephen King on writing? On when writing, you, yeah. You read that and you can imagine that is the kind of person he is where he is a champion of people who are committed to writing. Because I think yeah. he says in that book, you know, it's like this crazy thing that people go, I want to write. And it's like, do you read books? And they're like, well, no, not really. I don't have time. It's like, well, then you're not going to be a writer. Yes, you have yeah. to read books to write. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, it all start, you know, stemmed from from then, Edgar Allan Poe and, and Stephen King and, and the late night horrors finding them tucked away on BBC Two when they used to have those um, double bills of uh, they'd have a universal and then they'd have a colour one about one oh five in the morning and it would be <laughs> Curse of the Werewolf or something with Oliver Reed or something. And, and then you know, they were so brilliant to be staying up knowing deliciously that you pr probably shouldn't have been watching them. And that was where I saw all of the, the, the major hammers and all the universal monsters and um, some of the amicuses as well. They were the sort of like the dirty cousin of, of Hammer, the ones that were set in like council estates and felt more <laughs> horrible and more more real in a way yeah. because it was it was gritty. It was sort of like, you know, from beyond the grave and stuff like that. And I was just thinking, this is, 
there's there's a, it's not gothic and I, i'm not let off the hook by these scares this is more like people's real lives and there's the ghost is in the radiator or the the woman is getting the bits of that she needs to kill her husband by sitting on the bus and slipping the back of the hair and weird mundanity yeah. and, and the hammer house of horrors themselves the tv series which was very sort of horrible and 80s and gritty and and um yeah had that slight pornographic feel that was just a bit too sort of like close to the bone in a weird way a gothic horror it does sort of is once removed isn't it and it feels quite cozy mm. to watch but um when it's like that and then i remember of course the epiphany was when we what i got we rented the exorcist for the first time and that was that was a try i mean god <laughs> i've never been more frightened the part of the build-up to the event mm. My dad said, are you sure you want to watch it? Because <laughs> he'd been to, I remember very clearly he went to the cinema and he came back and he was shaken by it. And then he's letting me watch it on, on video. But um, <laughs> yeah, an amazing, horrific, deeply evil film. That um, I, it's, it's annoying now because I, I know I've, I've watched it in crowds of people laughing at it. And I just think, you know, so, I don't know why. I, maybe it is funny now to look at the head spinning and all. It's so iconic, isn't it? And the green, bright green soup. And parodied so often that, yeah. uh, you know, once, once you've seen like the Leslie Nielsen film, Repossessed. Of course, and- Repossessed with Linda Blair. What's she doing? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. But uh, yeah, when I first saw it, yeah, it was more, it's the, again, it's the fact it's in the house, in the, in the suburbs, and there's that white door and, you, and there's the banging and knocking. You think, what? Is she going to be doing next when we arrive back in that room? And Father Karras and his mother and the dreary, bleak sort of essay about death and loss. Mm. It's really powerful. Very impressive stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's. I mean, there's, well, there's a little bit of an age difference between us, but, I, you know, I remember having a similar thing to a movie that now, I, you know, you watch and you're like, what on earth was I thinking? But Poltergeist was one yes. of the movies I had to turn off. And I think it was because it was like TV is my friend and yes. you, are, you are demonizing TV. But yeah. again, suburbia, granted American suburbia and sort of like the sort of, but that's kind of why it worked, that whole Amblin, like, you know, rosy yeah. tinted kind of well, absolutely. Spielberg. Yeah, cinema. it has that light that E.T. has, exactly mm. that, isn't it? And there's something very, you know, the long, hot summers of 76 about it. And he, and and yet you've got ghosts and skeletons coming out of the, mm. the swimming pool. It's so brilliantly done that. And um, and I never, I'd, I'm sure that I was not, I should have just looked at my watch at the time, but when it all seems to be over and then it's not nowhere near over. <laughs> I thought I was really shocked that there was another forty minutes of it coming. And brilliant. I mean, and the and the brilliant sort of coziness of the the vigil when they're in the house with the um, parapsychologist, mm. and there's and he goes downstairs south and he sees the meat crawling and his face falling off. Oh my god! It's just brilliant. Yeah, really fantastic, scary stuff. And the bit where all the chairs pile up on the table when it's just starting, because that's what's brilliant about the introduction of it all is that it's fun mm-hmm. putting it down on the floor and letting it slide across. <laughs> and it, it was sort of would be like yeah, how it would be. Yeah. In a weird way, yeah. it's sort of like, look at this, it's this weird thing, and then it turns. Yeah. Lures you in. Yeah. On the subject of Stephen King, though, I, I think weirdly the thing that screwed me up most, and it's such, again, a weird thing now, but I think there is more. I think there is a group of people that this affected, and it was an adaptation of one of Stephen King's best novels, uh, in my humble opinion, which is It, and uh, Tim Curry's performance as Pennywise in the yes. TV movie of that. I, oh, he haunted... My dreams, the bit at the start where Georgie reaches into the drain um, because he has a balloon and then the face changes and the teeth and the eyes. Yes. and It's horrendous, yeah. And it's one of the great depictions of 
why clowns are scary. <laughs> it probably comes from there. I was uh, privileged enough to do a to do Birkin Hair, where I met and now know very well John Landis. Just like stayed great friends with him, and Tim was in it, and I was just got obviously I couldn't not talk about it, so I yeah. started to talk about it. And he did it. He did. He was doing. Really? They float. They float. <laughs> Georgie. <laughs> Hello, Georgie. Yeah, it was just like, oh my God, he's doing it. It was amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there it was. It was incredible. It's funny, it isn't it? Because they, then the recent new films, the books, it's sort of got everything in it, and it's three. It's it ends up being like science fiction. It's very yeah, so, strange ending, isn't it? Yeah, it's not the giant spider of the TV show, yes. or, or it might be, but it's also it, they enter some sort of astral realm. Yeah. I remember having seen it before I read it, and then expecting a giant spider in the book and going, "This is kind of trippy and yeah. psychedelic." It's, it, it's sort of like cake and eat it time, isn't it? It's mm. all supernatural, then it's not. It's, it's aliens, mm. and I want to go. No, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow it spoils yeah. it for me. Yeah, reading it's it's weird. I think even at a young age, I sort of understand. Uh, understood the, the the idea of a film was a film and it was actually reading Stephen King's stories that was the most scared I ever got I had to put down his books more than I had to turn off horror films which is there yeah. was a compilation he did called Night Shift um, and oh, it was yeah, a brilliant one fantastic I, yeah. I think it was my first or second and um, there was a story in that called The Boogeyman, uh, which was about a monster that just followed a guy around as he grew up and right. was always hiding in his wardrobe. Yes. And I was reading it at a friend's house and I didn't go leave his bedroom wow. to go to the bathroom because it scared me that much. Well, that you see how brilliant is that, that you can do that to you with you just reading a thing. Because, you know, you often do feel like you are completely safe just reading a book, just put it down. Mm-hmm. But to get into your head like that, and he is brilliant because he he, he does that thing of it of everything being so um, grounded in in a reality that you that when it's shaken, it really it matters. You know, mm-hmm. but for me, the best of his and uh, the one that haunted me kept and I, and was dreadful to read was um, Pet Cemetery. Okay, because that was one of the that I really profoundly upset me. The whole <laughs> killing of. Gage the boy mm. when he runs out into the road and stuff because he, he makes you care about these people yeah. and then he kills them and it's horrible yeah. and it was about he said I remember reading interviews with him and he, I think he says it in on writing about the he thought of the worst thing you could think of and he wrote wrote it and that was the death of his son and this horrendous book that, that is sort of um, monkey's paw really when it's you know coming you can you can you bring someone back and what will they be like mm-hmm. is is a brilliant study in grief i mean it's such a terrible thing that he's i mean he is celebrated of course but the, there's a there's a slight snobbery about him and i hate it because i think he's one of the giants of literature well it's, it's because he's so popular yeah. it's like simply that you can't have you can't you can't be popular and still be renowned like and respected and yeah. that, that whole thing so it would so it would seem yeah um that's so cool, you know John Landis. Yes, yeah, I mean, really well. I know, wow. and I see him whenever he's in London. I think he's coming in August. Actually, I'll be seeing him. But so, yeah, got on really well with him, and just stayed friends. And he was in Psychoville. Yes, we had him in series two of Psychoville. He came and did a bit on that. So that was lovely. Yeah, and he's just a big monster kid. You know, we just talk about horrors, and he sends me stuff all the time. <laughs> various films, Nightmare Alley will come through the post and DVD, and I can never play them because they're always American. But uh, yeah, he's great. He just is such a a lovely man, and uh, you know, he just goes around the world being honoured now for American Werewolf and God, well, all of the amazing track record of films he did. As he as he should be. Yeah, I mean, incredible. outside of horror, um, the Blues Brothers was one of my favourite films. Yeah, I was I adored that movie. Like it got me into musicals because I was like, you package up musicals with uh, a musical with car chasers, yeah. and I'm on board. But American Werewolf in London, I mean, you know, you're talking oh, yeah. about. Um, 
being able to mine comedy and horror uh, successfully. And yes. It's, as a kid, I did not find that film funny. As an adult, there are moments uh, when his dead best friend comes back to talk yeah. to him that are just hilarious. Absolutely, yeah. And it is one of the best um, at juggling that very thing. You know, he wrote it in 1969. He was a teenager. I did not. Yeah. And then he finally, <laughs> 20 odd years later, got it made. Yeah. And and the howling just beat him to it was with uh, yeah. this werewolf thing. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, amazing that he, he had it as, as an idea. But um, because the, the, the children's names in it are his children, uh, Max and Rachel. And it's just, it's one of the great horrors. But uh, like you say, it's, it is really frightening as well. I mean, probably like you said, more, when I watched it late night, I first saw it when I was 13 deeply frightening when he's in the woods running through and he's naked and he finds himself in the hospital bed yeah things like that I'd never seen before where it was all out of kilter and, and like a like a nightmare is where it's all wrong in your head but it's all happening in in, the, in real life you know that was really well done I thought it's, it was for me it's the, the bit that was uh, from our part of the world the uh, Yorkshire on the moors yes, when they, uh, they visit the, the slaughtered lamb and you know I think again you've seen that sort of like the old village pub and the locals yeah. you know, like, scary locals I'd never seen that before when I first saw it and it was it was just terrifying yeah absolutely yeah and he got England and Britain so well didn't he with the, mm. when he's bored on the, in, sat in the flap turning over the channels and there's the darts on and <laughs> think, how do you know this it's so specific and brilliant yeah it was, it was such a great and that whole sequence when he's running through naked in the London Zoo with it, he grabs the woman's coat and the balloons yeah really funny and, and brilliant performances and and very moving as well at the end when it's, it turns out to, you know he's, he's killed and he's mm. shot and savage that whole section of um when it's on the on the rampage in Piccadilly, is just amazing isn't yep. it yeah it's, it really stands up it's one of the, one of the greats bits I don't want to get confused between my werewolf movies now, but there's the bit on the tube with the businessman. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was. Uh, I should report this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, it's brilliant. And because yeah. yeah, it's that thing, isn't it? I should report this. Like what you fall back on, and what is fun, I guess, in horror is that, and we'll talk about it with them um, with, with Inside Number Nine in a moment. But um, but it's that sort of the 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 destruction of the pillars of security and how you fall back on like if I say this, this will end. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know you see it in a lot of um, horror films. It's um, a lot of slasher movies and, and so forth where they they destroy the police early on, or the police are unreliable for whatever reason because yeah. the you know as a viewer as an audience maybe like well the police will help yeah. and to take that away is like to sort of remove. A security blanket. Yeah, for you. absolutely. And Ben said, I think in an interview recently about in the Earth, they said, "Well, you know, we were always wondering what would happen in a, a zombie apocalypse." Said it's it's this and and nothing. We're not we're none of us have done anything. We've just sat in. That's <laughs> <laughs> <was> quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. So, um, but that was interesting. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, that that fear of the um of all the the structures of society going. I mean, that's why this is so scary because it, it was like it was happening, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. In real life, we were in it. Toilet rolls, seeing fighting, and it's just, it was like, what actually happens if this gets out of control? Is this happening now? And yeah, and you do just slightly cocoon yourself in in the constructs that we've just set up for ourselves that it will will just somehow see it through. There'll be order. Mm -hmm. This has to be, and that is really frightening when that breaks down, and that's what. We're on the precipice of it. Some, uh, it felt like at certain points, and that was genuinely frightening. I think. I think. Uh, 
I think a lot of people, well, I don't know a lot of people. I don't want to, I don't want to entertain people with my brush, but I sort of filtered it through like, this is like I'm watching a movie. Like I've watched so, like, you know, you, as, you, as you have, but you watch so many films and rather than go, this is sort of terrifying, a, a desolate London. You're like, oh, it's like 28 days later. Yes. Uh, Absolutely, that's, yeah. your, that's the way you process this. Yeah, it was sort of all right because you'd sort of seen it before, yeah. but only in movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Having him sat there, Johnson, as the Prime Minister, gravely, you must not go out. It's mm. like something about threads. <laughs> it didn't feel like it was real at all. Yeah. Just actors. Yeah. And that, I suppose, was a way of processing it. Also, being able to actually take it. Because we'd sort of seen a version of it because in fiction before many times. But, mm-hmm. So when it's happening, actually, you don't quite believe it. Yeah, it was very strange and, and frightening. But I mean, yeah, great for, for so, horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, growing, so growing up in, in Hull, so I'm from Leeds, yeah, so just Leeds. down the road. And uh, obviously you, you grew up in Hull. Uh, did you have a group of friends who uh, had similar interests uh, in horror as you, I, I guess I ask because I, I had that and it was kind of beneficial to have another group of friends who were like that so you could be outcasts together yes. and, and sort of uh, you enjoyed the f- you, you had your position on the hierarchy of I guess cool within school but we inhabited our area and that was our thing and you know I mean a lot of our problem was we were also into tabletop wargaming which is even more difficult uh, <laughs> a sell in <laughs> school very yeah. niche but it was nice to have that camaraderie between that's good yeah no i didn't i I was quite a a lone shark i think i didn't i think if i had any status in the school it was i was funny Hmm. and i man and that classic thing i wasn't bullied particularly but i wasn't um known for anything i was quite quiet i was really quiet actually quite shy but i would do impressions of the teachers and there would be a slight um there'd be a little corner of the of the classroom that would know that I was quite funny. A lot of people didn't even know I was, I didn't even exist. And the same went for when I finally got to Bretton Hall, which is the place where I met Mark and Steve and Jeremy eventually. I was quite quiet in that year as well. In and the three years of um of college, I was didn't really find my place particularly. But then I, that was when I did find more people that were more like minded. But school, no, I was quite uh, isolated as far as horror. More just got on with people because I they had my sense of humor and we were I'd have other kids that would laugh at the teachers with me. And um but uh I was quite interested in art. So a lot of my childhood was in was caricatures and art and drawing little I did I got obsessed with creep show and I drilled the entire magazine. And so that was a, a love as well. And I thought that was what I would do in the end. I thought I would be an artist of some kind. But last minute, I, try, I thought I've got to try and acting because if I don't do it, I'll regret it. And this is this is because it was theatre art yeah. that you were it doing a, at Bretton Hall. Yeah, I've said before, it's like a degree in washing up. <laughs> Completely irrelevant. <laughs> but I, in my mind, it was like, if I teach, if I can't do it, I can teach it. Uh-huh. It was a sort of edge in your bets moment. Right. So I went to Bretton Hall and got a theatre arts. Yeah, it was a BA honours. In theatre arts. And was it, I mean, to have sort of, I mean, I, I don't want to say it sounds lonely, but to, you know, to not have anyone to be able to go, and uh, have you seen this? Have you seen this Hammer Horror? Have yes. you read this? To actually then sort of uh, make friends with Steve and, and Mark, uh, or was it like, finally? like Yeah, a little who- bit. I did have an uncle, um, my mum's brother, he was very um, enthusiastic about uh, my like. So I was into magic as well. And he would sort of say that was, he'd indulge my, doing magic tricks. 
and uh, we rented a video camera and I did some sketches and stuff. So he was sort of uh, on on side as a, as a bit of a mentor mm. for just enabling my interests and saying it's not stupid that you want to do that, you know. And that was you need that when you're trying to find your thing. Life is, I think, all about just if you can find the thing you like. That's the and if you can't find it, it's hard, isn't it? Because mm. then you've not got the drive to go in one direction and try and get it, you know. And that's a lot of of what you driving for is like, well, what do I want to do? What am I? And I didn't have that for a while. I thought it would be art. And it was quite a, a tussle in my mind to think I was suddenly going to do acting. Because in the meantime, uh, my other thing that happened to me was <laughs> weirdly, um, in the gap between wanting to do art and then acting, hmm. I, there was a small window when I wanted to do special effects and makeup. And I ended up actually going and working for Chris Tucker, who did the makeup to the Elephant Man yeah. and, and um, Company Wolves. And the reason I got in contact with him, because I was making my own models and stuff and hands. And and I sent, I knew he'd done this makeup and I sent him stuff. Then he weirdly started to sort of like pen pal, a bit in a Stephen King-like way, mm. just nurturing someone that wanted to do his world. And uh, and after and then I was about to go to Breton, and he said, "Do you want to come and work for me in my house?" Wow, bit weird, but I went and I did it for a few months, and then I just couldn't bear it. In, in the end, I, I left. It was like being in Castle Dracula. I felt like Jonathan Hart. <laughs> I thought, what's the setup here? <laughs> I looked out one night and he was scaling the wall with it, in a cape. And I thought, no, I'm going. That's it, I'm done. So uh, I, I left in the middle of the night. I literally got a taxi and I, I, I fled. You f fled? Because in my house, in my bedroom, there was the elephant man's head and Gregory Peck's head from the boys from Brazil. <laughs> and I loved it to start with, but in the end, I thought, I don't know what, how long am I here? <laughs> there's no setup, there's no mention of money. No, why, how, what is this? Apprenticeship. It's my life. I've just volunteered to come and be trapped in this man's house. So I went and I, I uh, and I'd slightly missed it. He had slightly missed the bug that I had about that mm. world. It was like a, probably like a, a two years too late. Right. And I felt terrible because it, that opportunity for someone else who wanted to do it was it. It was mm. like the golden ticket, you know. But most of my time when I was there was spent slush molding the makeups that were sent around the world foam rubber heads of um for all the fans of the operas oh, wow. the musical had just happened and he'd done the mu the, the makeup for the disfigured phantom so i was doing so it was specific to each actor yeah each actor, and, and it was all these slush mold makeups that just had to be sent farmed out loads of them toronto chicago london yeah and I was just doing this quite boring, like being a baker. I guess after you've done about 10 of those, you do flee like, in the night. This, please let me do something. Because he got all to do all the best stuff, aging people and stuff. But you can't do that until you 30 years later, you know. And I was like, I'm not doing this. So I went. Anyway, so yeah, that was a, a weird diversion mm. in the middle of it all. And then, yes, my art teacher, who was the one that was the great champion to me, Mr. Uliart, um, was the one that suggested, very last minute, if you want to do acting, maybe Breton Hall is a place to go because it's sort of like a degree but it is ostensibly in a drama school for three years mm. you do have to do essays at the end which is a bit of a shock for, for us that thought it was a drama school until suddenly it was a degree course and you had to do essays <laughs> um so I, and i did that i just went to leeds and it was affiliated to leeds it was in the middle of nowhere you get told about cabin fever when you go there because breton hall is in the yorkshire sculpture park yeah and it's i think it's all gone now it's just a, it's a hotel or something but um I was, I was when we were there, there yeah it was all the henry it's beautiful yeah the henry moors yeah but you what you are warned of like you can go it's like jack torrance time proper overlook <laughs> so uh yeah we were just there for three years on on campus it was a mad it was sort of not very well 
when we were, I think it got better when we were left. But what was what was good about it was it left us to our own devices, mm. and we started to do our own stuff. Well, you talk about being left to your own devices, and and obviously you sort of you met Mark there, like you say, and Steve uh, and and Jeremy, and you formed the League of Gentlemen, and and I guess jumping ahead when I say you get left to your own devices initially. You put together the Edinburgh show, and you you take the show to Edinburgh. And I I, I was too young. I, first, my first Edinburgh was um, I think after you'd um, you'd finished doing Edinburgh yeah. and moved into TV. But I've, it's, it fascinates me how different that that first Edinburgh show was to what I first experienced when I saw it on TV. Right. Yes. I mean, we. It, it's funny the league because it started live. It was very much a live thing, and we were sort of doing a version of it on stage at the Canal Cafe in Maida Vale, oh, yeah. where we hired every Monday night for however many weeks and just started writing these sketches. And then it sort of occurred to us that next week we could have Pauline do a different restart and, and the character would continue, but it sort of not quite the same joke, but there'd be a, if you came back, you would see an advancement in the storyline. And that's, and we were sort of creating the story arcs that we would eventually do in the, in the TV version, but ostensibly it was just sketches and it wasn't really until we got the radio series that we thought, well, if we're going to house these disparate ideas and these mad characters in something mm. and make it more than just a sketch show, that was the, the thing we wanted to do is not to just to be another one. And all we ever really did on stage was make sure it was slick. It was slickly done. I remember it was set, it, it set itself apart from other sketch shows at the time because it was, we re, we drilled it and we rehearsed it really well. And it was, it was just, it wasn't really rocket science, but it was just very well, um, it was theatrical and very well honed and the time be between sketches was very quickly managed. You know, we had three chairs and we drilled those from moving from one sketch to the next very deftly. And that was all part of it. And I think that, that set it apart when it came to Edinburgh. It was like, wow, that's brilliantly constructed piece of theatre. And it yeah. had to be on our terms, though. That was the thing. It was like you came to our thing, and it was that was it. We wouldn't have. We never fared very well when we were in on a night of stand, a bill of stand-ups, because suddenly we were this sketch show that was a fourth wall thing, and mm. the, the stand-ups were always better than us because they were talking to the audience and getting direct response. Which, and I guess that bled into a lot of sketch shows, where sketch shows became self-referential, and quite often, and still today, uh, you you find people who who go. What will be funny is if we then go, this doesn't have an end, for example, yes. or, or, you know, sorry about that. That didn't work, did it? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's uh, a bit of a get out. Clause, yes. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. No, we were, we didn't want to do that. I know exactly what you mean. And it did feel like we, you were entering into a, a sensibility that was ours. And, uh, but having said that, we, you know, we never set out to be the dark princes of comedy, as we were told. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah. This is a long time ago now, but we we just thought we just wrote, wrote what was funny. We just thought that I mean, it was a slightly collective notion of the North with our Leeds and Hull and Newton Aycliffe, where Mark's from, and um, Chorley, where Steve is from. And we just thought, and then that was the thing that how was the sketches? This town mm. on the radio it was called Spence, and then in on the TV, Royston Vasey, Chubby Brown enters his name, <laughs> and we thought that was quite apt. And um, that became bigger than the sum of its parts. You know, the idea of that mad town it was i remember when I, I i first saw it and it was just and it goes back to what you're saying about this idea of you know unapologetically writing what you wanted to write as opposed to writing something and going how do we make this accessible to an yes. audience sticking to your guns and going look this is our thing it, you know for want of a, a cliche take it or leave it 
This is this is yeah. what we're doing. Yes, I've always felt that about our stuff. It's sort of very sure of its um, self. It's undiluted and it's authored, and that's and they're always the best things. I mm. think it's not. You can smell a mile off when something has been good, mm. and then it's been the idea has been worked out to flattened out all the edges knocked off it and that's what's hard i think when you when you are starting out because you you get told what that that'll work you don't need that and and who are you to say no if you're just desperate to get on and move to the next step with someone's that apparently is your script editor and telling you they know best you know that's really hard <laughs> to you want to go i don't trust your judgment in it i've been yeah. doing it on stage for years and now you've come along. You've only you've got a pile of these, probably. You're giving me these notes, and then the minute you're going to be looking at somebody else's, <laughs> it's um, it's that famous uh, Ricky Gervais story about uh, getting notes on a scene in The Office, and um, uh, and his saying to his editor, uh, "Don't implement any of them, and send the same scene back to the uh, the BBC uh, okay. in about you know three hours." And he did, <laughs> and the notes came back going, "Thanks for putting those changes in. Oh, uh, it, it's now perfect." Yeah. See, it's harder to not. I can't complain because we have very little, inter- in fact, no interference, and it's an amazingly privileged position. Jeremy Dyson and I tell him about our situation with Number Nine, where we write them and they're sort of made. Mm. He said, "Well, that's it. You've done it. You've arrived at the the place you want to be. It's incredible, and it's such a, you know, I've experienced the thing of 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 note." taking and, and working th- and, and rewriting things and you think well yeah i could do it like that but that's i've done it like this mm. <laughs> and, and that it's that weird thing where you go that's just taste that's like you're deciding for me how i wanted to present the scene and that's all very well i understand it's justifying why you're sat here <laughs> but i'm the one that's actually have to go away and implement it you know I guess it's a trust thing, though, isn't it? Because you, you've had, yeah. I mean, it's a, a name that will be familiar to anyone who's have followed comedy on, over the years. John Plowman has exec so much of yeah. your yeah. your stuff. And it, it must be a, a trust thing where you've, I guess, earned your wings. He does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And well, I, I hope so. Yeah. You feel like you're in, uh, you are trusted. And, and we've never done anything. I think we've been very, it was Sarah Smith, our first producer, that was very drilled into us that sort of the, um, the privilege of being piped into people's homes, you know, and it feels like you, you had a responsibility. And so I think we were careful. And, and this goes back, right back to the stage about how we wanted it to be more than just a sketch show and feel like you were really invested in the characters. And if you really are nearly crying and it's got a pin drop silence in the audience because Jeff is on the verge of tears and having a nervous breakdown. Uh, and then you break it with a laugh. That's the most delicious thing. And yet you've gone on the journey with them. And it feels like a, a little a moment of what that you would find in any drama. Mm-hmm. And I think we've that in particular is a thing that we've we can't operate without now. I feel like that's always in, in our stuff. And, ju- and I'm not to say that it's easy just to do comedy. God, it's not. But if we've just tried to do something that's light and fluffy and fine and funny, it always feels lacking to us because it doesn't have the heft of something under underneath the engine driving it or the or a darker undercurrent or a surprise or a completely reversal of what you think you've been watching. And that is that's always there for us now. And I think it's just it's an effort to try and make our bit of telly when we're allowed to do it. Um different from the rest you know and if you're if you're passing it by like you say if you're passing it by and you don't like it you can't deny it's it is sure of itself you know yeah i mean it's when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Seems that, I guess the word rigorous and meticulous are two words that spring to mind when I consider, um, obviously, your writing partnership when you were doing the league. And, and certainly now with Steve, like you're, so you're a formidable writing partnership. And I, 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 I was reading that, for example, with the League of Gentlemen, you actually filmed the first episode months before the rest of the series, because then that provided you with the time to analyze that first episode and go, what have we learned from that? Rather than just go, here we go, let's make a series. Yeah, we did. And it was a, sort of like a 40 minute version of that first episode one because we weren't sure we didn't know whether there was lots of questions to answer from having done it on stage that was one thing then they had this strange incarnation on radio where we really wanted to embrace radio and not see it as a stepping stone and enjoy the aural joke of it you know and and embrace it in the way that the goons embrace sound effects and some characters completely created for the radio dr chinnery mm. killing the animals we thought well, that's that we can have the sound of whatever he's doing and that will take you a long way yeah so some of those things were literally written for radio and, and a lot of it we didn't want to try and just you know, people were like, how are you going to do it? It's so visual. But we just, you know, we tried to do it and embrace it. And then when it came to TV, it was suddenly like, right now, how do we do this? Is it is it all in, in a studio? And do we do it on, with tuxedos? Is it like three of a kind? <laughs> no, we're we just going to not have not have outfits and or we'll just have one outfit and, and very quickly uh, sort of almost surreally be the different characters. Or do we completely try and populate the, this town? And in the end, I think we we did a bit of both as an experiment. We did the local shop sketches in 
on a set and we did the Dentons on a set with an audience. And we all much preferred the, um, and Pauline, we decided to do more Mike Lee and very real and almost like gritty, like piece of drama. Mm-hmm. And so that despite the fact Steve was Pauline and it was a man in a dress, he was, he was just Pauline. It was a woman arriving in a horrible, smoky filled restart room with a load of depressed men and talking to them like they were worthless and, and yet completely film like a documentary. Mm-hmm. And we thought that was the better way to go rather than big and more possibly more cartoon-like. I mean, you might say it's still quite cartoon-like, <laughs> but we tried to make it more, it, we just, it suited the, the tone of it. And I mean, it's all weirdly skewed because the league, we couldn't win the battle at that time in 1999, by the way, mm-hmm. that's how long ago it was, <laughs> of... Um, of not having a laughter track, but we'd really fought to try to not have a laugh track. We thought we, you don't need to be told where to laugh and it ruins the feel of it, you know, but by the third series came, everyone was doing it and we were allowed, but mm. uh, one, one and two, we went in and we, we fought the corner to try and not have it. And they were like, I just think it is so strange. It's good to just have an indication that it is meant to be funny. <laughs> so we had to have it. So the audience knew that it was apparently a comedy. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, you touched on like Royston racing and and creating that place, and it, you know it's it's weird. I sort of, I think there's a correlation between um, Royston Vasey and, and what you do on Inside Number Nine, which is isolation comedy. It's um, yeah. it's a fascinating thing. Like uh, I, I was watching a, a, a much different series uh, not so long ago, uh, The Terror. Um, uh, oh yes, I really got into that. I loved it. Yeah, it's great, wasn't it? Yeah, amazing. I didn't series. know what to think about it. week upon week. I was thinking what. Where is this going? I knew nothing about it at all. And it was the best way, of course, to watch anything. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was thrilling. So strange and odd and frightening and a brilliant character piece, wasn't it, as well for the actors? And oppressive. And and again, which the reason I bring it up is because it's... um you know you are you are transported to this place and for for most of the series at least you are on these two decaying ships trapped in the ice with yeah. with nowhere to go and i do feel when you're creating mood and tone like you do in your work like trapping characters somewhere also traps the audience with them and and you are inevitably drawn into whatever mood they're separated from any kind of normality yeah absolutely yeah and particularly with the number nines that are all very claustrophobic just by the nature of the conceit to that they're all going to be in some sort of housed in some building with a nine on it i mean we often get people saying why do you want on a bus and it's like yeah all right what happens <laughs> <laughs> they just think the nine is just to be slapped on something and then you've got one that's that's the bit we spend the most time that's <laughs> yes. uh, every week we've got the twist we got the build of the carry they all come it's yeah, like yeah, how it's do we crowbar in the nine we can't do it can't think of a way of getting a nine on it so that's not the thing of it but yes they are all very um tonally different but if there is one thing across them all it is a a a claustrophobia with the fact that these people are in this situation in this plight in this place I feel like I've been building up to this because I, I kind of have in my own little way uh, to, to talk about Inside Number Nine because yeah. uh, it's uh, it's truly one of the greatest shows Aww. on TV. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. It does feel um, to me at the moment uh, when I was talking about coming to do this interview with you today and I was talking about Inside Number Nine, does it feel to you that there appears to have be more talked about right now than ever before. There appears to be a buzz about it um, that it's grown into this thing. I hope so. I bemoan that it's not known enough Mm. for my liking, but Mm. uh, I think, and I was away, I was doing a play in New York 
on to when the fourth series went out and Steve said it felt then like it was just getting a bit more known. I mean, I don't know how many you've got to do before anyone knows it. We're around on to our start to film the seventh series soon. But uh, yeah, I think it probably is a little bit more. Maybe it's that there's a, such an amount of them now on available on iPlayer mm-hmm. that you can go back and get these one hits. You know, there's 37 episodes just to be able to go back and consume in any order that you like. It's... And so that's a great body of work, isn't it, to be able to go back and, and discover it all. And if you've not seen it, I can't quite believe you've, you've somehow passed you by. <laughs> but if you don't know it, you don't know it. I always think that. I mean, I, we do what it, for us, it's obviously we spend all our lives doing it. And when we're not doing when you don't see us doing it and it's on the telly, we're thinking of the next ones, you know, and it's amazing. They keep recommissioning it. Who knew that we would 12, 2012, we start, we thought the first one is more episodes than Contrafile now. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous. The quality is, uh, is maintained, if not increased, uh, in, in my opinion, I, you know, everyone has their favorite episodes, which is the way it works, which is the wonderful thing of about course. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, but, um, that's the nature of an anthology, isn't it? And, but what it affords people is the, the ranking which is the thing that I can't stand people every single series is like right and put him in order <laughs> and it's like you don't get that with any other what you imagine putting a ranking of series of IT crowd or whatever it might be in order you just get or not going out you just watch them oh. <laughs> Mrs. Brown's boys, right? So uh, three, <laughs> six, one. Well, well of course, they're all individual stories. You're going to hate the next section of the show then, <laughs> where we go through my favourite episode. That's fine. Um, Everyone no, has got a different favourite. It is interesting though, because I mean, for you, like it must, it feels like a, a dream show. And I, I know it wasn't an immediate uh, yes by the BBC, despite your body of work. They yeah. they were initially like, well, what is yeah, this again? Yeah. Well, we had the meeting about whether or not we would do another series of Psychoville. We'd done two series and a Halloween special and we thought, and we had ideas for a third and we went in not knowing whether, what this meeting was going to be. Normally you sort of know. And very quickly it was jettisoned. It was like, and what, what's next? And we we're like, oh God, right. Okay, that's it. That's the end of Psychoville. And we just said out of sort of response from having done Psychoville, which was very um, narrative based and a big long story where you couldn't wait to watch the next one and it was our answer to sort of 24 at the time and these the big box set where hmm. it's a cliffhanger ending and you can't wait to watch the next one there's very much a big overarching story that you were hooked into let's do one-off stories let's go back to the anthology no one's doing them i mean they were very out of favor it was like the received wisdom i'm always saying this was at the time you, why would you watch? Why would you return to watching something if it starts again? Yeah. It's like, well, there is a heritage of a lot of these programs <laughs> that do do exactly that. And in fact, now actually, I think there's more of them out there. There's much more. Um, there's American Horror Story and Black mm-hmm. Mirror, of course, is an anthology. And each week you get this hit. And I think it's more appealing to people now rather than how many hours of my life have I got left to commit to this brilliant box set that's mm-hmm. 20. It gets good by series season yeah. seven. It's like, how many? And you're re- and you're rewarded as well with each episode. Like you, you go through the whole journey that would normally take a, a box set, you know, seven hours, eight hours of TV, uh, however long. And and in this, you know, you be going. It's an incre- it's incredibly written. I, I'm not, not just saying that to go on this massive and quite often very emotional journey inside thirty minutes of TV. Yeah, I mean that, and that's that's the hard thing to do. And of course, when you are starting again each week um, with a brand new story, brand new set of characters and a, and a compelling um, 
narrative that takes you in it and, and you want to be there for the for the duration of the story and, and feel satisfied at the end. It's hard. It's like doing the pilot episode of, of, of a sitcom where, and, that, and they're always notoriously the hardest thing because she's setting everything up and we've only got that time to do it and complete it and finish it. It also affords you the, the great freeing thing of being able to kill people and, and have great heights and great lows because you're not saddled with the consequences because the next week it's done and you go on to the next thing. So there are pros and cons for doing them. I think mostly it is the, uh, the amount of storytelling. That's what I think is great about number nine and, and people don't get it. People don't, don't, stories are bled out. I mean, I watch things now. I am sort of um, conditioned to think what's the pithiest, quickest, neatest, leanest way of telling a story because we've, you know, we're so short for time in number nines and, and, We'd spend all our time thinking about what do you, what's the bare essentials of the exposition? How do we hide it, and how do we tell this story where we can't go anywhere if we're in the same room for the duration of half an hour? Oftentimes, the number nines are all real time. Some of these box sets, they're three hours in before anything happens. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fa- it's a fascinating thing. I was uh, it was a. Um... Uh, a writer who's done a fair few of these uh, long-form dramas who was saying that uh, a skill for new writers, what you want to do, this is, this is his advice. Uh, I won't say who it is just because I, I don't fundamentally uh, agree with it uh, because I think it's a terrible way of creating TV is uh, to top load that first episode with so many ideas. And it doesn't actually really matter if those ideas come to fruition because what a producer wants is to just go, wow, there's so much here. There's a real smorgasbord of ideas, which is why when you watch these things quite often and there are obviously there are fantastic shows out there yeah this isn't a blanket statement but sometimes you will watch a series and go that's an amazing first episode yeah and then the next three will be treading water before they even bother to pick up some of the narrative threads in that first episode and inside number nine it's incredible how efficient the writing is in that show well thank you yeah and i think it is um it's hard to do it, and and you are, and we've got more skillful, I think, at doing the third. I mean, in particular, you know, 28, 30 minutes is a particular amount of time, and it would be different again if we were trying to do it at one hour or 45 minutes. You'd be able to do it. and But, um, yeah, I think um, we're very deft now in, in daring to think we can do it as well. I've never and still don't really think of myself as a writer. I, I sort of facilitate <laughs> being able to, to play the parts that I write. Right. Because then I, you know, I don't get thought of for anything, but it's nice when I write these things and I think, well, I'm going to be playing that. So that's a nice thing, you know. And then I read things like, number nine would be great if Reese Chesmith wasn't in it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've read that. Jeez. Yeah. And it's like, oh, uh, let me have that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, uh, I do want to talk about some specific episodes, if that's all right, just because yes, I sort of, there, there are episodes that I, I, I love and, and these are ones that particularly stand out to me. And again, everyone has their favourites. But I think, you know, I, I've picked a, I've picked a, a handful here that I, I think also show just how eclectic the show is in terms of you being able to pay homage to things that have inspired you and, yeah. and just some amazing ideas. So uh, I'm going to start with this, and it's a, it's a bit of an anomaly in the, in the inside number nine uh, world because it was a live episode. Right, yeah. But for people of a, a certain age like myself, um, Deadline is the name of the episode, and it is one that you did live. Now, in 1992, the BBC broadcast something called Ghost Watch, which I'm sure you're yeah, aware of. There's no doubt you're not aware yeah. of it, which uh, pertained to be a live broadcast uh, examining ghosts in a, a family home. It was It was, in fact, um, this drama uh, that 
was possibly one of the scariest things. I was 12 at the time and I, you were, you'd have been a bit older. I didn't yeah. know. Uh, even at the end when Parky is in that room and the papers are flying about, yeah. I was even how ridiculous it got. I was like, this, I don't know what is happening. What's happened on television? What's happening? Yeah. I mean, it's funny, Ghostwatch, because it's, it didn't ever hide the fact it was a, a BBC drama. It's, it begins, if you watch it now, it says Ghostwatch by Stephen Volk, and it's written. And you think, oh, right, he just tells you that it's a written thing. You miss that tiny bit, and then it is a doc. It's completely like the first most haunted. <laughs> yeah. And you've got Parkey and Sarah Green and <laughs> Craig Charles, and all very legitimate doing it like they would do it. It was an outside broadcast van, and they were at this house, Foxley Gardens. Is that I somewhere? Think that's right, yeah. yeah. Good memory. Um, and they, uh, something like that, Fox Hill something. And uh, yeah. I remember Pipes, that's what yeah, I remember. Yeah, and Pipes was the apparent ghost of the, of, the, um, of the house. Terrifying. It was all sort of like weird backstory of, of abuse and the girls got scratches on them mm -hmm. and the lights were going out. And it was just brilliantly done because it was so, uh, you just bought, Parky's a brilliant actor. <laughs> Great. One of the best acting in the world. I mean, and then the ending, yeah, like you say, it gets ridiculous. But and the, the reveal is sort of we've all been partaking in like a mass seance. It's a fantastic um, idea, and um, yeah, very much in our minds when we did our one, because we were thinking, well, if we're going to do a live episode, because we were asked by the BBC, will you do a live episode? It wasn't our idea, and we didn't really want to do it. We thought, well, everyone's doing them now. You get them on Holby City, does them? Mm. It'll just look like a ropier version of a number nine, probably. And um, what's the best you could hope for? So we, but then I, I think it got exciting when we thought, well, why do people watch them? They watch them because they're just grimly fascinated to see if the actor will fluff his lines or something will go wrong. <laughs> and we thought, let's, what if it really goes wrong? You know, and, and then we got uh, wind of the um, apparent haunting of Granada Studios, which was featured on Most Haunted. There was a whole uh, vigil from there. And then we thought, great, it will do. Um, the burial ground idea of of the fact that the ghosts don't want us to film there, and uh, we so we we put it into the papers that we were filming our live episode at Granada Studios, and it was all seeded. And uh, then it went wrong; the ghosts stopped the transmission. So half a few minutes in, the sound went. That's such an incredible little a, a tiny little detail mm. of the sound going. But then it didn't go to the BBC Two; it just ca it came back, and it was like, oh. Oh God! Uh, oh, it's all right. And so that was unsettling and horrible, and so heartbreaking for when you watch it. You think, "Oh no, they've put all this effort in, and I didn't hear that bit. It's going wrong." And then it, the sound went again, and it was just really tragic and very believable. I think. Very. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the proudest thing for me is that you, a fifth of the audience, turned off when it went when it completely broke down, and they said, "We're going to repeat inside number nine." <laughs> <laughs> and loads of people turned off and I thought well that's it that's the best we could hope for yeah. because you've bought it mm. and we were very pleased with that and did the BBC I just remember years ago uh, and again talking about sort of the blending of horror and comedy I think it was Andy Kaufman uh, once wanted to do a thing on his show in the US where uh, the picture broke down on that and uh, the lines would come across the screen and people wouldn't be able to see what's going on. And it, he wanted to do it intentionally to mess with his audience, right. as, as was his way. And yeah. the network said, absolutely not. People yeah. will turn off. And to be able to then do that in... And no, amazing, actually. And, and no resistance to it, because I thought exactly that. I thought, well, we won't be able to do it. We write this now. We will go to them with the idea. And they'll say no, because it's like you're jeopardizing. <laughs> you got an, a Halloween special. Mm. 
and people might think it's gone wrong, which is what you want them to think, and they might and they'll turn off or they'll, they'll just be disappointed. What? Why would you entertain trying to actively make that the best version of that that it could be? And we were just like, well, I think they, I think Patrick Holland, who eventually commissioned it, was taken with the script. He liked it. He liked it as an idea and he liked the strange sort of fragmented kaleidoscopic nature of the storytelling when it gets out of hand and it's sort of like the ghosts are sort of giving you information, showing you bits of the old most haunted from Granada Studios and then we have the weird bit with um, him falling on the stocks. <laughs> what was he called? Bobby, uh, Bobby, Bobby Davro. Davro yeah. yeah, Bobby. Oh God, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch him. Don't do a thing. <laughs> so, so we got Lionel Blair suddenly in there. Yet another incident where the ghosts are tampering with people trying to do some production from Granada Studio. So it was a, a lovely, strange night. Great because we did the meta thing of playing ourselves where we suddenly the cameras are switched on and we are ourselves waiting to w- wonder whether we're going to get to continue the live broadcast. And doing the tweet in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, I tweeted. Level. No, I tweeted and it was on my phone. I was tweeting. And the weird thing was with that was... I had my phone, so people were texting me going, oh, God, I'm so sorry, it's gone wrong. Darren Brown texting me saying, I'm so, oh, bugger. And I thought, yes, we've got him. <laughs> you got If you've got Darren Brown, you know yes, it's working. Yes, well, good. I thought, this is something he would do <laughs> yeah. completely. So that was great. And I live tweeted it, so it was sort of like on, and we would turn over the television and the news was on and the actual news. And so it was all very legitimate. And um, a one-time only thing, really. I mean, it still works if you watch it on iPlay a little bit, but you oh, it never does. get the feeling like you did on the night it was great on the night because it was like wow what's this mad thing where it's all going wrong you know i think i mentioned it earlier it's it's that breakdown of um the structures it's it's a show that has suddenly stepped outside itself when you've got the commentator what, what is yeah. it called the, the woman who links together when yes. she appears and she's like oh sorry all the sort of stock phrases i'm afraid we're having technical differences she was great as well and, and she got completely embraced well yeah in the background. whispering background as if something's in the booth with her yeah. when she's doing the announcements we we wrote those links and then we said to her what is this like what you would be given and she said well what would happen was you'd have less I would have, this would have happened. So it would be a, a bit panic stations and I would have to quickly think of something to just say very quickly. And so this is maybe a bit overwritten. So we were like, oh, just do it then. Do what you would do. And so she sort of did an authentic version of how she would have gone. And uh, we're sorry about that. We'll try and get back to that as soon <laughs> yeah. as possible. So it was, it, it felt as almost authentic as it could be. Mm. A very, an interesting few little tweaks that we made very late in the day as well that helped it. That very first, um, bit where the sound went we had in the script that it went to the bbc2 side uh-huh. and then someone said uh, yeah that wouldn't happen it would be if the sound came back so quick they they wouldn't reacted they wouldn't have reacted that quickly to it because it'd be people sat never think it's going to go wrong and then it, they'd be alerted to it like three minutes in and then they would quickly r- run to the machine and put the bbc2 logo on so th- it would pass them by probably the first time so we're like, oh, right, great. And that was actually one of the best bits in it, that the, the sound dips yep. and then comes back and doesn't immediately go to the transmission breakdown. But it is, you're right, that thing of when telly goes wrong and you get the, we're having problems, it's frightening. Mm. Your heart starts to race, what's happening in the world? Why mm. is this this thing that's always <laughs> co- correct and normal and works and yeah. not working? There's, so there's something very, um, I don't know what it is, it's a psychologically deeply rooted unsettling thing isn't it when that really is when that happens really is it's like it's like the warm duvet of normality has been ripped away and you feel very exposed just watching it on your own you feel very naked yes it's true and and to tap into that in a thing about ghosts Mm. was 
was good. Yeah. Okay. Next one, uh, very different. Which is this? I think putting these two back to back is a perfect example of uh, just how different each episode is. Um, the trial of Elizabeth Gadge, uh, which oh, I'm glad you picked that one. That's one of my favorite ones. Oh. Probably my favorite one. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> 17th century and witches and Matthew Hopkins. So for me, it was a joy to enter that world and to sort of do Vincent Price for, for an episode. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Witchfinder General, mm. that was the movie that immediately sprang to mind. Yes, I remember watching yeah. when I was a kid. And, and you've got, I, I meant to ask because. I think you you once said that you don't write with people in mind because yeah. you're never sure if you're going to get That's them. That's right, yeah. But David Warner is just so wonderful yeah. in that. And to, I imagine you writing some of those lines that he said, and I'm going to apologise before I do it, but I just can't help myself when I want to repeat a line. But <laughs> having David Warner in David Warner's intimidable style um, – just say things like, tell us more about the ass kissing. Was it right on the hole or just on the cheek? <laughs> Is in, it's like, did you take, did you know it was going to be him? No, no, we didn't. And, um, you know, thrilling to get him back because we had him in, um, League Gentleman's Apocalypse, of course, yeah. which stars Alex Zay <laughs> yes. as well. I was in, I, I, I'm an extra, I eat a grape, and because I'd never done acting and came from a stand-up background, <laughs> was petrified. All the camera had to do was pass me and i pick up a grape from a feast yeah, and it was scary. Very, very but well. Thank you, yeah. You haven't, haven't aged a, a, a minute. <laughs> oh, bless you, thank <laughs> you. Fantastic, you don't have a big wig on. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we got, didn't, yeah, I, like we normally do, we write it and then we wonder who's free and we thought, in the end, we realised David would be a great um, Sir Andrew Pike, justice of the of the piece of Little Happens because he he's got he's so funny, David, and he he didn't do it often, but we always remember him in Time Bandits. And oh my gosh. two brains, and he's amazing, and mm. and he's got that he's got a dark streak, and he's a brilliant actor, and we just thought he'd be great, and he he, he rose to it, he loved it, and um, it was a joy to have him, yeah, because it was very. Silly episode as well. It was very, I mean, not, I guess you, you might think it was Python-esque, but what I loved about it was the, was the authentic language. It was the, the absurdity of the situation, the darkness of the situation, but also I mined all of these old witch trials and because they were obsessed with um, putting like mice and insects on trial and they were all, everything was a, was a witch's familiar even down to a mouse, you know, turning up and then snowflake. Put, put snowflake, putting it on trial, <laughs> and and these mad rules that, that suddenly condemn you or not, and, and then they can be turned on you in an instant, and it's just it's ripe for pricking the bubble of the of the absurdity of it all, and deeply horrible as well. So that yeah. was a perfect world to to do, and we and that that time series, I think it was only second series, wasn't it? That one we hadn't done a. Um, period one we thought let's do a period one because we can do we can go anywhere and do anything so it was nice to do that uh change it up like that those are uh, characters that i would happily see in a series of their own uh i think it's, oh uh, yeah i could easily do six half hours of but, warren and clark wandering the english countryside good and uh, trying different people for different things yeah I mean, that was the fun thing about having them as these sort of celebrities that turn up in the town and uh, they light up the town because it's like wow something's actually happening here <laughs> nothing, nothing happens it just happens yeah it was great oh, what's the other great David Warner line uh, Christ in heaven it's transformed itself into a bottle <laughs> just oh it is it is a very very funny episode yeah there's uh, another line in it when he says um, I, I, I 
someone says something about something happening. He goes, oh, yes, I, I heard of it. Twas in Leeds. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> I'm surprised you don't remember that one. Yeah. Twas in Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great episode. Uh, Okay, uh, I'm going to be. I'm going to. I've kept you a long time here, but as long, as long as you're all right for time, yeah, yeah. Um, I do have a few more that I'd like to um, talk <laughs> to you about. Of course, it's a lovely thing to be uh, um, to troll over the. Oh, world. good, good. Yeah. I don't know because I mean, you know, it might be it might be good practice because you're doing a, an evening with uh, Steve talking yes, about this. Exact about this, kind of thing. we have our lovely, and you'll be you'll enjoy this book. It's a really good. Um, it's the book you would want if you're a fan of Inside Number Nine. It's all the. Um, we go into in-depth, uh, all the HODs, heads of the department, have done interviews for it, and uh, we speak a lot about the gestation of every episode from one to five. So there's five series worth in it. Um, and then I think there'll be additions when the other series comes out. Mm-hmm. And it's just great. It's got all backstage pictures. It's got Guillaume's storyboards. It's lovely. It's a big coffee table book of 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 stuff you've never seen, which would be and it's was the the insider's guide, insider's guide to inside number, number nine. nine, yeah. So, so that's out at Halloween, yeah. And I, I mean, there's no point me telling people because I believe it's sold out. But you are doing a, is, a yeah. stage talk we're at just the Barbican, a, yeah, Barbican. We're going to do a Q and A to yeah. sort of launch it, yeah. And I don't know who was going to be doing the interview. Maybe you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, next one. Bernie Clifton's dressing room. Right. Yes. Um, a wonderful story you and Steve play. Um, weirdly, like some of the first comedians I saw on TV, like when I sort of hit the age where I understood what comedy was, um, just before I, I sort of Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson entered my my sort of sphere of knowledge, it was the the double X, the, yeah. the big sort of glitzy floor, shiny floor show comedians like Cannon and Ball and, and yeah. Little and Large. And, yeah. and you and Steve play uh, a, a comedy double act who were big in the 80s, who were reuniting after, after many, many years. Yeah, and it was... It was really um, the thought that we'd not really done a number nine where it was just a two-hander mm. that kicked off the idea of that episode particularly. I said, we should do one where it's just us two. We've never done it. So then we thought, well, what would, how was that? And we thought, well, maybe a sort of Sunshine Boys type thing of a reunion of a double act and uh, they've, they've had a rift in the past and it would be fun to be able to play on the on that uh, Arsene of variety time, <laughs> yeah, and uh, maybe do some of the old sketches and see them re-rehearsing it. And uh, we'd got the thought of the reveal at the end, which I don't even know if I'm allowed. I, I could spoil it. No, but, don't. Well, anyway, yes, but um, so it was just fun. Yeah, it was great to do it, and it, uh, again, uh, strangely, uh, it hit with people in a way that we never expected it to. We thought it was a good one, but it very. I think the ones that make you cry, and there's been a few, uh, the ones that people take to their hearts. It was very moving in the end, that one. And um, that and Christine, the 12 Days of Christine, which is the other one everyone loves, mm-hmm. I think do things uh, upset people and move them in a way that I think they're not expecting to be, to feel like that with with what we do. And that's what's maybe blindsides a little bit. And that's the same thing. I mean, you do feel for Len and... Um, and Tommy by the end of that episode. Was there, I, I, I mean, I only ask because obviously you've worked with uh, Steve for so long now. Was there anything autobiographical in that? I, I guess there's um, the bit where he's, uh, Steve's character is, uh, is uh, stealing the line, stealing the laugh uh, from, from your character. I think yes. I, remember, I remember hearing a story about where, this is going back uh, to, to your stage show where Steve was playing a coach driver, but he was getting the biggest laugh by just raising his hand. And I just wondered whether uh, yes. you tapped into that. Yeah, there was an element. Well, there is an element that Steve says that I do. I do that on stage. <laughs> a little bit where I look out and somehow think I've won it. 
just by looking out. So that's, uh, I just take that they're laughing at me and not him. But uh, yeah, there was an element. I mean, certainly when we ended up with the art department bringing in pictures of us from League of Gentlemen 20 years ago as young men and putting on cheese and crackers and, and looking at these leaflets of this supposed bygone time and thinking, this is us, we are it. We've got this life between us and this this picture i mean we're made to look older even older in the in the program but nevertheless it was like it was a little bit like we've had a, a life of mm. acting and being a double act together i mean there's mark is in the mix and jeremy but as far as like the last few years of doing this yeah it did feel a little bit autobiographical um but not in a bitter way i mean i think if anything we've People used to say about us when we did the league, and now do we argue or do we have fallouts? And we never do. I think it's because, and we don't because it's successful. We're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, it might be if it was if we were failing. I think there might be more heated debates, but uh, we're very comfortable with our lot now. When we're, we're, there's nothing more to prove to each other, we're not bothered about you're driving it this week and you've got a much bigger part. You know, we don't care. We write the scripts and they might end up, we look at the end and think there's not a part for either mm-hmm. one of us or there's, a, there's not really a big part for you, but you can just do a little part. So we're not bothered. It's the, the thing of the nines at the minute now is that they're just good stories and then we'll cast them. And the calibre of the writing that you're doing now um, is as good as, if not, you know, is some of the best work that you've ever done as a writing partnership with Inside Number Nine, which I think might surprise some people. Not that it's a it's a set rule, but you do sometimes find that some of the best work people produce is at their hungriest, which yes. is at the start of their career. Absolutely, yeah, and I've talked about it before. The uh, like Neil Sedaka says the hungry years, and that's when you 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 want it, and you you you've got all the the stuff in your head and you want to get it out. And that's when you're making your mark. And it is hard to maintain any sort of um, surprise or blip in the, in the canvas of, of um, the media when you've done it and you've got known for a thing, you know, we we got uh, made our mark with the league of gentlemen, that dark streak of comedy. Mm. How do you do, what do you do after that? What's the next thing? We went, came back with Psychoville, but you never expect any, uh, Telly is very ephemeral. It's just tomorrow's chip paper. And there's so much of it, and it's so disposable now, that to make any mark is incredible. To win the BAFTA of, for comedy last year, mm-hmm. where I thought we had completely missed the boat six series in, never been nominated, mm-hmm. was an amazing thing. And to think we're still on the radar doing it, even in our own little way, even if I don't think anyone knows it. <laughs> but it is known, obviously, because yeah. we're still in the game, and that is an achievement. However, you might not like it, but we're, we're still around. And I, I do think that's. An incredible thing to still maintain something that uh, that apparently is of interest to people, and in our way, yeah. Because you know we occupy a very particular place, and we're still being allowed to do it, which is amazing. And you know, I think I do think I, I think the BAFTA is one example of it. You know, at season five, series yeah. five, uh, so as not to Americanize it, but series series yeah. five is um, is what you got uh, won the BAFTA for, which is sort of like you know, on the one hand, it's like yeah, about time, but on the other hand, I think it. it it does indicate such an increasing awareness of this show that is all there and on BBC iPlayer that you can just dip into. Yeah, and I think that that nod was f- for services to the industry. I think it felt like it because you know that weird thing about after no one really knows it, but you don't. It's not for the program. It's for one episode of the program. So we always have a, a battle with what episode are we going to submit for number nine because they're all different. It's like what's the one that represents the program? This and we've got to think oh, it's for comedy. And then I've been on these panels where it's like that's great, but it's not funny. Mm. And this is for comedy. So you know you have all those 
you, you could never know what, you know, and, and then it comes down to the mix of people on the panel and yeah. they decide. So we just, I think we ended up putting in the, weirdly, the Psychoville episode because we thought it was the funniest. Oh, yeah. That was the one we submitted for the BAFTA and that was the one that won it. And whether it was, they were able to say in the room, yeah, but come on, they've done so many other different things. This program is so diverse in, and that should be commended. Mm. Or whether they did someone, because I know it will have happened, there'll have been a chair there saying, we can only think about this episode, this is the one. So that, who knows how why they arrived at it. I was delighted they did, yeah. But um, it's just thrilling to think that we're still doing it because um, it is hard to keep coming up with the ideas. And But Bernie Clifton was a lovely one to do because it did feel... Again, different to anything we'd done because we got to do the little song and dance number at the end, and it was Which, an original touching. song. It's, yeah, if, and, and it, it feels uh, authentically Eric and Ernie. And that's the that's the, that I think is an example of just how on the money the homages to the period that whatever period or whatever genre you are have chosen to delve into that week, the fact that that song is like I, this could be from. Yeah. The 1980s. Yes, the and 70s. we were very pleased with the uh, brown bottles routine because we thought that's a very particular raw variety. As you could mm. just see um, people doing that in, uh, in yeah. 1983. You know, really properly. funny. Yeah, yeah, really very, funny, very authentic. Uh, you know, now you've mentioned the next one I was going to mention, um, and uh, I do honestly think this is one of the finest pieces of writing I've uh, had the pleasure of seeing broadcast uh, in a while, which is the 12 Days of Christine. It's just incredible to watch it and then to rewatch it and to see the foreshadowing uh, you know the blue lights and the christmas tree i'm being yeah. very very careful because i would not want to spoil this for anyone the blue lights and the christmas tree and and the red herring of the the photograph of the school uh crush boyfriend and yes. then the way your the stranger is designed and that sort of that red herring there did you after writing that could you and steve sit back at that point and go that's something special because I think for a lot of people, this is an episode that really, yeah. really hits hard. Yeah, I know. And um, we didn't, we wrote it really quickly. We wrote it in a week. I'm sure we wrote that. Uh, we had the idea of the structure of, of, a, of just quick scenes of a life and flashing a year and a day ahead over however many, 12. And um, it was interesting just to think, well, let's think of the, um, the holidays of, of a, of a season of, of a year and, and we'll just try and fit a, a story. And, and we just slowly constructed it in a reverse engineering what we knew the ending was going to be to um, an affecting life. And, and I remember we didn't worry about it being not particularly funny. There's funny bits in it, but it's more the way people in life are funny. You know, it's not, there's no gags. It's not an obviously mm. funny one. It's sad in places and then funny in other places when it, she's with Steve, her um, who plays her, flatmate for a bit and it's just very i think it's very touching because it feels very real in that slice of life type way mm. and it was something we hadn't really done before so we were just uh it felt a very fully formed idea it's not a new idea by any means but um, we didn't think we'd thought of the conceit of it but it was just repackaged in a way that i think properly surprised people and sheridan at the heart of it is a brilliant performance that just really takes you through it makes you feel so much you know she was great that line i, I think i know what this is now yeah that yeah. delivery at the end i mean what a, what a smack yeah like. i know it was good and, and i remember those on the page thinking i thought these these are good this is going to be a good bit and then we're watching it being filmed i mean i don't remember it being this amazing you know it's another day's filming but yeah. it did feel people were very moved even 
constructing it and filming it. So I thought, oh, this isn't, you don't get this where the cameramen are looking a bit tearful. <laughs> so that, I did feel like there was something brewing. And then, yes, it did uh, really pack a punch, didn't it? And anyone that sees it, I think, you'd come away with degrees of f- being devastated by it. And others, I've got a bit of tea, I've got a bit of a dust in my eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, so that was me. But yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't mind crying yeah. on the sofa. Uh, yeah, we're well, so crying now. I'm crying now, just thinking about it. <laughs> Honestly, sometimes it is one of those that it stays with you. And, uh, you know, my... Uh, my other half, my wife, uh, sorry, uh, but she's not even my wife. She's yeah. my uh, fiance, but she has this um, incredible way of watching something with me and being on the phone, which I've never really fully understood. Right. But inside number nine is one of the few times the phone goes down, Oh wow! which is, uh, oh. I think, a testament to just how much you inhabit the world of each episode. That's a badge of honor, isn't it? To think, yes, that, you know, people are, uh, they did some study, I think, about Twitter and how they, how number nine's viewed and it stops the... Tweeting about it stops when it's on, hmm. goes to flatline, and then at the end it spikes because <laughs> they're all back on wow. talking about it. So that's a nice thing that I think because it, it, it does demand your attention. Yeah. These things are not to be on in the corner of the room and you're half looking at it and going out and getting a sandwich and coming back. Mm-hmm. We require that you sit and watch them and lean into it, and hopefully even imagine this: watch it when it goes out, and not just um, tape them all and watch tape. <laughs> You know what era I'm from. You know, have them all on ready to watch when you're viewing pleasure. And I think it is one of the few things that, and I've heard this, that people still do want to tune in and watch it so it's not spoilt. I think, and I think it has that. Without a doubt, it's one of those shows that, you know, people will be talking about straight afterwards. And because it's good, isn't it? I'm glad, yeah, that people have got that, that they still want it to be. uh, Because all we do is uh, try to um, stop the. Secrets getting out, you know, mm. and a lot, even the plot, because so much of telly, you know from TV quick what the plot of the night that you're going to watch is. <laughs> yeah. and you, you watch it play out and you go, oh, yeah, I read that all these beats <laughs> happened and all these beats happened. Yeah. And you think, well, where's the, you know, even mini surprises or revelatory things in within the number nines that we plant in. Like there's a bit in um, the one that we wrote that was very sort of... Um, Ken Loachy and um, uh, Love's Great Adventure, oh, which was wow. very, um, yeah. very different to what we did because it was very observational and kept back and, and slice of life and a lot of improvisation. And there's a bit in that where for a few, a few scenes, you think that Steve is the uh, and his wife are the mum and dad of this little boy. Yeah. And then there's a little reveal just casually that it, they're the grandparents. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, and that in might be nothing, but it is. it turns things on its head and they're all carefully thought through. So... Those moments are twists and turns within the narrative that just keep you leaning in and, and, and make you question what you're watching. And we try to do that a lot, even if it's not overtly in the um, conceit. I mean, the biggest example of something where every 10 minutes everything changes is the chronological order one we did, uh, Once Removed, where mm. it's, the story's going backward. And each time you see the scene after 10 minutes earlier, everything you've thought as is cleared up at the end of that 10 minutes is slightly not what you thought it was when you go back. I mean, it was so complicated to write. <laughs> right? That was a headache to try and write that, but uh, fun to do. But, but I um, guess you, you've, you've kind of set yourself um, uh, a level that you have to maintain uh, because of the quality and because of the people, I, I guess, you know, there are people who, who love it. And then there are the fans of yours and Steve's work who <clears throat> are very smart and uh, not set out to pick holes, for example, <laughs> in your work, but uh, will be aware if you have perhaps missed a beat or... Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, they're the biggest, the harshest critics are your 
fans in a weird way. I mean, we did one about fans. Yes, Simon says. Simon says, oh, which is a great episode. So good. We love doing that. About Well, it came from think, reading about the... Um, and, and we never watched it, so we didn't really get what it was all about, but the very upset or some fan base of Game of Thrones that were right. very unhappy with the ending and wanted yeah. to sort of petition to try and get another ending. And That's thought, right. What world are you in? What you think? <laughs> For a minute, that might happen. <laughs> but we thought, what if that mm. plays out and then someone has got the power to sort of, right, go, I know better than you now. And it was the ownership of an idea and a creator and a, a fan of that, of that work that's a very interesting area to look at, even though, you know, we, it was never really about, our, it's not, an essay in what we are experiencing, but we know it and we're fans of our program. So we're, I think, fully allowed to explore the notion of being obsessive about things. I am, mm. you know, about horror films and things. So it was just interesting. It was great fun to do um, that, the power shifting between the, the fan who knows better mm. than the creator who's dismissive of, you've got no input in this whatsoever. Yeah. And yet that weird thing of like, well, without, the fans that are keeping it going. Yeah. Where are you? What have you got? Nothing. Yeah, I would say it's, it's interesting. I was going to talk to you about that. And then I was like, I don't fully understand what my position on that is because it is such a fascinating question where, you know, who who owns it really? Yeah. Who is who who should be thanking who? Yes, it's exactly comes down to exactly that, doesn't it? Yeah. Because on the one hand, you want the person in a weird way that's creating it to not be uh, infected by what he knows people think about the work and like about the work. Mm. And then on the other hand, you, you think, oh, maybe it's good that they, because then you get fans that very quickly latch onto that, don't you? And so it's fan service. Yeah. I think people thought that we'd copped out a bit when we did our Psychoville episode and it was like, what? We thought that was a great surprise that we went back to those characters, but some people didn't like it because it was like, you've run out of ideas. Right. And it's like, wow, you don't give us a fucking <laughs> <laughs> no one else gets the scrutiny we get. No, can't believe I mean. it. That's what I mean. No, yeah. get, you fucking do, look at anywhere else at the amount of detail we try to put into these fuckers. Anyway, that's but what yeah. I mean. You've got you. You have set yourself this level where people are, are more demanding of you than I think any other I show. Think so yes, I, and I then I taught myself out of thinking that thing. You know, you're just weird yeah. and paranoid about the fact that you get such a, um, such a absolute laser sharp scrutiny over it. And, it and I think other things don't get this but at the same time that's great because other things are wallpaper the TV yeah I guess yeah and, and if anyone is talking good or bad let's be probably pleased with it yeah, yeah. And, you know the fact that, that like the Twitter graph that you're talking about I had a terrifying fact the other day that uh, that one of the streaming services was uh, commissioning scripts now that um, that, that are, uh, explain the plot so uh, repeatedly huh. and what is going on so simply because they are aware that now people are watching things oh like, on the phone that now they have to they have to make TV the, the that you recapping. can be on your phone while you're watching oh a show. God. It used to just be after the advert break that would do it maybe once yeah. or twice and now it's all every 30 seconds. But building it into a script, simplifying down, a script. Yeah, I know. It's unbelievable. And then we are trying to do the opposite way. It's like you've got to really work hard to pull out what's going on. Mm. Um, so it's not for everyone. I do. I'm, I'm, br I'm briefly going to mention this episode because uh, I love it. Yeah. Um, uh, but also because uh, and I'm going to, again, keep it spoiler free. Uh, the Devil at Christmas right, is yes. an episode uh, which I believe is the director uh, calls it on the, 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 the commentary. No one's going to see me doing a vertical comments, yeah. but yeah. Um, uh, the denouement. I don't think that subject matter has, uh, it's rarely 
yeah. ever on TV. No. It's rarely in a comedy, and it's rarely in a comedy on the BBC. No. It's a shocking end to it that is, episode. Yeah. I mean, I think we smuggle a lot of really brutal, shocking things in because it, uh, you know, it's apparently under the banner of being a comedy. And it's really not a lot of the mm. time. And and therefore, you're not geared up in the way you are at nine o'clock on ITV to watch Unforgotten. There's going to be some brutal murder or something. Coming to this thing, even though it's at 10 o'clock, expecting something funny, I think the power of the shocks are, are, are greater because mm. you sort of, you're in a different headspace and then they hit harder. And that one particularly was was great because we had that ending up our sleeve. But the fun of it was that we had the idea of the Krampus story, Krampus being this Austrian yeah. devil, anti-Santa. And uh, we started to write it and we just thought it's a bit, well, a bit obvious and a bit sort of, it feels a bit like a Tales of the Unexpected mm -hmm. would have written. And we thought, that's it. Let's just do one. Let's do the heritage of an inside number nine and do a, a lost um, episode of a, of a sort of old anthology. So we'll get to do all the fun of, um, of wine that looks like Ribena and, and <laughs> all the bad exposition. Missing their marks. Missing their marks. The yeah. camera's catching the wrong thing. The boom's slightly coming in. Yep. Not full on Acorn Antiques, but just enough to think that's what they're like when you watch those old, that old telly, the old way of doing telly where they would finish one scene and wheel the camera around to the next set and start up again. And we had three days to do it and it was rehearsed over a week for the cameras. Completely authentically like they would have done Z cars. You know, it was comp and amazing. All the cameras were ancient and, and it was all edited on it Sorry. looks incredible. It was great, yeah. It's and I because I thought you'd just get an app and do a crap. Right, like, that's what I'd have thought. Yeah. yeah, and it was like, "There's what app? There's no, there is no app. <laughs> we have to do it properly." And it was like Adam Tundy, our uh, producers, sort of put together this team of uh, and found everything, all these old cameras that were literally vintage out of a museum, and it gave it that a very authentic sort of armchair thriller look where the, 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 the candles were smearing on the, and it looked like videotape. It, it was great. really, really great. Yeah. And it was the best sort of, it was great fun, but also we knew we had this horrible killer uh, reveal as well. Yeah. The punchline. Um, punchline is a proper it's, wow. savage. Yeah. You just sort of go, I cannot believe. Yes. It's it's one of the ones where I've gone, I can't believe they got away with yeah. that. Because you sort of go, well, it's just it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was good. It was good fun to do. Um that's that's all my number nines. Yep. That's so uh, those are just a handful. I know. An example of uh, of some of the ones that I've loved. Um uh, before we go, because we have been chatting uh, a long time and I I, I I've enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, I have. Um, but to go back to um, to go back to something that inspired both of us uh, is the book I'm showing you now because I, 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 I it is you've done a forward for the Usborne World of the Unknown yes. Ghosts book. Now I'm sure a lot of people are like those books. Yeah, because for you, for me, for a lot of people, the UFOs, the monsters, yeah. and the ghosts. What That's incredible it. books! Absolutely, yeah. And um, you know, in the school library getting them out continually yep. and just loving and pouring over all the pictures. The brilliant thing about the Usborne books and, and their, their tackling for kids, supernatural and, and monsters and UFOs, is it's written, they're written like facts. Yes! Vampires are <laughs> to be found in graveyards where the dead are unrestful. And, it's, and they're so written like, it's, this, it's either that or it's like the Civil War, but they're written in the way that it's just like, oh, right, okay. It's so so if I put a penny on a grave and go dance around it three times at midnight, the ghost hand will yep. appear. And I just believed it. I was like, this is fantastic. And I, I like you say, it was an encyclopedic 
um, knowledge of that book backward. When they came to me and said, we're thinking of bringing it, are you, are you a fan of this? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so there was a petition. And, and amazingly, it, it's on its third print, I think. People are buying it retrospectively because they just love it and remember it. Yeah, that's And then me, getting yeah. it for their kids as well. Yeah, it's a that's, beautiful uh, thing that it's back in the world. Yeah. The people of the Banks Islands in the Pacific Ocean believe that certain stones were haunted by eating ghosts. If a person's shadow fell across the stone, the ghost was thought to suck out the person's soul. After losing their soul, the person died. These stones were placed in empty houses to keep away thieves. <laughs> yeah, it's there like, you go. And the one about the one that really got me as a kid because they it, it was the drawings as well. So this is just a reprint, but the drawings were sort of so sort of like a bit a bit not scratchy, but like yes. this skeleton when they find the riveter's That's body right. in the hull of the ship. I remember thinking, what an awful way to go yeah as a kid yeah it's a it's an absolute delight it's like time travel i think i say that in the um in the forward seeing that button going back in it's a form of time travel if you knew it when you were a kid it's like wow i remember what suddenly what the school the classroom smelled like yeah it's amazing it is fantastic it is and if any i guess if any parent has a child who is exhibiting any interest in the supernatural yeah get them these books because they are like a bible absolutely yeah i would encourage it no end yeah Probably not the best way, not the best analogy. It's about uh, ghosts, just like the Bible. Yeah, the same thing. (laughs) Um, uh, Reese, it has absolutely been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Alex. Um, Congratulations on the ongoing success of um, Inside Number Nine. It truly is one of the best things on TV. You're very, very kind. Thank you. I love it. You enjoy it. Great. And uh, have a lovely rest of your day. Yeah, well, thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip to the movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. <laughs> 